0: From childhood, I remember our festivals, different, yet the same. At sunrise on her longest day, Magda lit wicks and set walnuts and wine. She prayed the Christian beads. Summer brought the sunsets of Ramadan, bronze lamps lit. Arabi, the trader gave charity, coins for the poor, sugar cakes for me. Then came the harvest, sweet with peaches from Kalanda. At night in my family's cabin, we sisters kindled lamps and tied citrons and pears to willow boughs. Our Sukkot, his sugar feast, her solstice, they came to me as one. When I close my eyes in the depths of memory, I see lamps and their light. This is G.P. Gottlieb, host for New Books and Literature, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. And today I'm talking to Edith Scott Saavedra, author of The Lamps of al in this poetic novel set in a small town in late 15th-century Spain in the region of Aragon, a spirit of convivencia is coming to an end. The story is told by a woman remembering her childhood. Sarita knows that most towns of Iberia were not as tolerant, but in the tiny town of Albaracin, Muslims, Christians, and Jews crossed into each other's quarters on errands that laced them together like a cat's cradle. Sarita's father was the doctor of that town, and she was his assistant. Hi, Edith. Thanks for joining me today. Hi, Khalid. It's a pleasure to be here. So how did you go from being an international lawyer and business consultant to writing this beautiful novel? The novel
1: is really the result of a lifelong journey for me uh, in search of identity, uh, in search of uh, family roots and uh, and more than that um, a, a lifelong desire to really understand uh, what life had been like uh, for the Sephardim uh, back uh, before the expulsion of the Jews in 1492
0: So what was your impetus for writing this novel in particular?
1: Well, I grew up in Washington, D.C. in the 1970s, nation's capital. My mother was from the Republic of Panama, from a town uh, in the interior. And she was born in 1920. When she was a little girl, she used to like to go into the house and sit with the old grandmothers, and they would tell a story. And it always was the same. In Spain, we were members of the royal court. Our walls were made of cedar wood and hung with Flemish tapestries. And then all was lost. I thought a lot about that. Uh, And when I was older, I went to Uh, to Harvard Radcliffe undergrad, uh, I thought this is pretty easy to track down, to confirm or not. I'll go into the Harvard Library system, and I'll find the encyclopedias of the leading noble families of Spain, and our surname will be there or not. Well, guess what? Our name wasn't in any of those books. So it wasn't until several decades later, uh, notably with the publication of this groundbreaking work by uh, David Gitlitz of blessed memory called secrecy and deceit, the religion of the crypto Jews, uh, that I understood that many of the teachings and sayings uh, that my mother raised me by uh, were verbatim uh, from, you know, preserved from uh, 15th century Spain. Uh, and when I realized that, and when the internet came and the, Uh, the the wonderful genealogical resources, um, and I saw all of our last names on lists of surnames of the Sephardim, Um, well, then it was my time to think, what do I make of this personal journey? And also, uh, what can I give others who are also looking to make sense of discovering uh, ancestry that goes back to this time and place. And that's a Mm wonderful novel.
0: Yeah. One of the things I loved about The Lamps of Abaracin is all the stories within the story. Mm -hmm. Can you describe the research you did to create this 15th century world of food and smells, clothing and customs? Yes.
1: I am
0: a passionate
1: devourer of, of, of Spanish history from the Renaissance. I love it. So um, we can call it research, but to me, it was just a romp um, through historical sources. And um, I used all different kinds of sources, published sources, also sources on the internet. And I'd even uh, saved books and reference books from courses I'd taken at Harvard uh, literally um, 35 years uh, earlier that were still on my bookshelf. You know, the uh, the um, compendias of of ballads or romanceros uh, that I learned in, in, you know, Spanish literature and um, history books. Um, so much. Uh, I just had a wonderful time. And of course, now uh, we can do Google image searches uh, and we can see and visit uh, so many very, very uh, particular places, um, thanks to people who post photographs. So uh, basically, I, I had
0: a great time doing it. Mm. Sarita begins her story in 1481. She remembers drinking tiger nut milk, which wasn't kosher. Can you talk about how you created her character?
1: Yes. Uh, when, when I had a, a, that night, I had a night of kind of, a eureka moment when, uh, in struggling to decide how to make sense of this, I decided I wanted to make sense of this heritage writ large, just from not just for myself but for other readers who found themselves in my situation, and I decided that the only way I could really understand having Sephardic heritage from that time in Spain was to become a girl, a teenage girl, and go back in time to her world and become her and tell the story as I lived it in the first person. That's the genesis of Sarita. Um, She is, in my view, everybody's great-great-great-grandmother who who is engaged in this kind of a a search for roots.
0: I like that. Each chapter begins with something about a lamp, which makes sense of the title. And the first lamps described are from Jerusalem and fit in the children's palms. They're from Uncle Solomon, a.k.a. Solomon the Aged. What do we know about him? Solomon
1: the Aged. What a scamp. Solomon the Aged is actually based, uh, actually based in many respects on a wonderful elderly man who whom I befriended in Singapore, um, a blessed memory now, who used to teach me Ladino and, uh, and had many, many memories of his childhood uh, and uh, some of the idiosyncrasies, let's say, of the personality of Solomon the Aged. Um, Solomon the Aged, though, represents um, numerous things uh, and I think he has great business acumen. He's traveled widely uh, all across Levant. Um, he uh, is passionate about learning, and um, he's also very hard to pin down. He's, he's very cosmopolitan. Um, and, and there were, in fact, many people like this uh, in Spain at the time involved in international commerce and trade, uh, deeply cultured, and hard to pin down. Uh, And it's it's sort of the enigma of Solomon.
0: The aged is part of what makes him so interesting. He is interesting. Sarita's older sister, Bella, is already planning on attracting a wealthy financier, a converso with a large art collection. And Bella tells her sisters that it's all the style in Zaragoza to convert is all the style. She says, the wealthiest and best connected families are doing it. Well, that that was so funny. Can you take a moment to explain what was going on there? Who were the conversos? Why would it be the thing to do? Yes. Um, The kingdom of Aragon
1: in those days was a kingdom. Uh, Today, Aragon is a small province in northeast Spain. It doesn't have a coastline. It represents a very small percent of the population and economy of Spain. But it wasn't always that way. Uh, And if we go back to the 15th century, uh, Aragon was a kingdom uh, with an international uh, extension, uh, a presence that uh, went as far as Sicily and Naples that it controlled through a loose dynastic alliance. Uh, Aragon was a powerhouse of the Mediterranean trade. It was extremely important uh, in Europe, and it was a multicultural society, uh, very much uh, made up of Christians, in terms of of sheer numbers, Christians, Muslims, and Jews. The Jews had played a very important role in Aragon's uh, rise to to power and prominence and prosperity, because about 200 years before this book was set, um, one of the uh, kings of Aragon realized that Mediterranean trade was where it was at in terms of influence. I mean, that was the way to make money. And he uh, gave um, some Jewish financiers direct control of the royal treasury, uh, and uh, they put Aragon uh, traders and trade on the map. Uh, to the point that the Pope in Rome complained to the king about how good they were. Um, We fast forward until the middle of the uh, 1400s, and there is increasing pressure on the uh, Jews of Aragon to convert to Christianity. Um, This is a period before uh, King Ferdinand sent the Inquisition into Aragon. That didn't happen until 1484. Um, So, for about fifteen years before that, I would say um, there was a feeling among the elite uh, uh, that they could have perhaps uh, the best of both worlds, uh, convert to Christianity on uh, on the surface in order to uh, to uh, cement and protect uh, their position at court and you know uh, to maximize um, their professional um, you know trajectories, and at the same time, um, you know, at home, uh, observe the Sabbat. Uh, and uh, many uh, converted. Um, some became you know, 100% observant Christians, but many were something in between. And it wasn't until the Inquisition arrived um, and turned the tables on them uh, that uh, things became very tragic and very
0: difficult. Mm-hmm. We meet Lady Brianda. Who's a conversa, but she's still very concerned about people studying Torah. Why does she urge both the children and her and their aunt Esther to study Judaism? Um, Prianda de Besante is an actual historical
1: figure uh, who was born in the city of Tedwell in southeastern Aragon uh, and. Uh, to a family of Jewish heritage. Uh, She was uh, baptized a Catholic at birth. So as far as the Catholic Church was concerned, they had jurisdiction not only over her, but her soul uh, eternally. Uh, Those are the terms they used. Um, And there was considerable pushback Uh, you know, among uh, the Jewish community of Tedwell, who felt many uh, people such as Brianna felt that they were being deprived of something incredibly important to them by an accident of a baptism that they didn't consent to and don't even remember. Right. Um, And she uh, dedicated her adult life to uh, holding uh, religious services primarily for women and girls Conversos like herself uh, at her in her home in Tedwell, um, and was known to the community as La Rabina, uh, which is quite uh, remarkable. When the inquis- inquis- inquisitors did uh, come into Tedwell, uh, she um, mounted a valiant defense of Judaism uh, before the tribunal, uh, refused to recant. Um, And it's believed, Jewish historians believe that she was removed uh, for execution to Valencia uh, and executed in secret to um, prevent the creation of a martyr for the converso cause. Uh, I included her in the book. She's a strong, strong character um, because I believe that she really deserves to be remembered uh, to to be remembered today. Oh, I love that. Why was Sorita's little sister considered to be so strange? Uh, Reina, uh, queen, that's a beautiful Spanish Sephardic given name. Uh, you'll find those uh, in the family throughout the book. Uh, and Reina was considered to be strange because Reina was a, frankly, spiritual prodigy who from her earliest years was thinking about uh, deep, uh, deep spiritual and religious, uh, questions. Um, now we know that, Statistically, baby girls and boys are both born um, in the highest percentiles of intelligence. Uh, female infant geniuses or with genius potential are have been born throughout history. And why do we hear so little about them relative to the frequency with which the boys, um, you know, become uh, renowned figures? So, um, I explore uh, I explore that issue that question in the character of Reina. And um, indeed in my book, um, I bring Brianda Besante, a real historical figure, into interaction with Reina and her sister. Uh, I think that they're both unusual because they were both really thinking women uh, with very active intellects uh, in a profoundly patriarchal society. And one of my favorite scenes is um, at a Hanukkah dinner Uh, where the men are discussing the food and uh, the women, including Brianda and the girls, are discussing Maimonides. Um, That, to me, is a wonderful, wonderful scene, uh, because actually, according to the patriarchal values uh, of those years, women were not supposed to be um, involved in religious or spiritual conversations uh, any further than just, you know, uh, listening and maybe nodding their heads in assent as they learned things. So I really enjoyed turning the tables on that one at that dinner. That
0: was fun. I recognized one of the songs. I love that you included so much poet, so many songs and so much poetry. But that one I specifically recognized. Can you please talk about Una Candalika?
1: Yes, it is a beautiful Hanukkah song. Uh, it was recorded by the great singer of Blessed Memory, uh, Fiori Jagoda, I believe in the 1980s in an LP uh, released under uh, uh, Canticas Divinona. Minona. Um, I was inspired to include that song in part because of, part of, a, of, a, of a very meaningful personal memory that when my mother first heard uh, that song on the rec- the record. You know, we opened the record, we played it for the first time. She pushed her chair away from the dining table, stood up and began to sing, dance and clap it. She knew it and she remembered it from her childhood. Her um, childhood where? In Panama. Ah. Now, I saw this with my own eyes and I I cannot uh, explain it except that that was her, her family's uh, secret song. So, uh ah. Things were Mm -hmm. passed along, perhaps, Um, and uh, another reason is that one of the artifacts that really inspired me to write my story, because, you know, there are many artifacts and lamps and and all sorts of um, artifacts in the book, uh, is a, a Hanukkiya that was discovered in the city of Tedwell in the central square when the municipality began to excavate for a parking lot. And they uncovered, they broke through the ground and broke into what had used to be the old Jewish quarter. Um, The, you know, location of which had never been verified. And uh, they found um, uh, partially intact a 14th century Hanukkiah, which has been faithfully reproduced in the illustration um, and it inspired me how uh, how an object you created to give light could have survived in the dark for so many centuries um, and i it was very important to me to uh, to give it life back then, uh, in a scene in which it's lit and and celebrated, and part of the celebration. Uh, but also, um, just a few years ago, I, I, I commissioned of my own accord uh, replicas of it, and uh, and and we lit two of them um, at the Beit Sassoon, uh Sephardic um, uh, synagogue in, in in Newton, Massachusetts, uh, at the home wow. party for the children to see.
0: That is so lovely. Okay. Going forward, Uncle Arabi, who has been teaching chess and Arabic to Sarita's little brother, tells Sarita that he once dressed as a Christian and walked into the great mosque of Cordoba, known today as the Mesquita. So, Edith, I was just there last week, wandering (laughs) around the Mesquita, totally in awe. It was one of the most amazing buildings I've ever entered. Could you say more about that?
1: It's one of the, to me, it's one of the, the, the wonders of the world. It is an overwhelming experience uh, to to walk uh, beneath those arches and look up and experience the, the incredible beauty of it, the drama, the, the spirituality. Um, um, Arabi is a very important presence in the book uh, because, again, he represents. Um, Uh, Muslim, the Muslim population of Al-Barrasin, and uh, that was a town in which there were, uh, in terms of descending populations, right, uh, Jews, Muslims, and Christians. uh, And uh, in the neighboring city of Teruel, there was actually an avenue at that time where uh, Jews and Muslims and Christians of the of the most, most wealthy families uh, lived side by side and across the street from each other in mansions along a very fashionable avenue. Uh, and that's actually proven because the, the, the deeds of transfer um, show the different languages and seals of the respective religions of the buyer and seller.
0: Mm, Wow. You write about a character who is forced to enter a convent. Was that a common occurrence, and is there historical evidence that some of the people who were forced to enter convents managed to escape and leave the country?
1: Yes. um, Many conversos ended up as nuns or monks, and in the Inquisition testimony uh, gathered and, and analyzed by uh, David Gitlitz in Secrecy and Deceit, we find many, 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 to me heart just heart wrenching uh, statements uh, by uh, given by monks and nuns who who pined uh, for um, Jewish practices, who pined for their original heritage and and identity and religion. Um, Did they escape? Well, it was very important to my novel uh, that my protagonists escape. Uh, I imagine that some of them did, um, but I would imagine most of them um, did not. Mm -hmm.
0: Sarita is forced at some point to Mm -hmm. disguise herself as a Muslim woman in order to escape. How did you devise the route, the foods, and the situations she would have found herself in on that journey?
1: That was a wonderful uh, multidisciplinary kind of out-of-the-box uh, uh, endeavor. I loved it. So I looked at Google Earth maps, uh, geographical maps, uh, uh, old uh, uh, you know um, transport. You know land route maps. Uh, I looked at lots of images on Google, and I would actually uh, pick up pictures. Um, I'd search for specific small um, hamlet or village names, and 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 look at the pictures that I could find um, on Google Images, for example, of what it would have been like to be there. The food. Oh, the food was wonderful. The food, though, was based on different sources. Uh, um, you know. Uh, uh, Republished uh, medieval um, Muslim cookbook from around 1200 from southern Spain um, and uh, recipes that were uh, compiled in part by uh, again David Gitlitz in his wonderful uh, book um, with Linda K. Davidson called A Drizzle of Honey. Um, just uh, it, it was just absolutely a delight, and I could also go into some of the village's websites and read about. Um, you know, sometimes a ballad was posted, a traditional ballad, or, or that I could go and, and, and look into the histories and see that uh, another village was was uh, a little bit in trouble and suspect um, by, you know, under the Catholic authorities for having many conversos uh, from both the, um, you know, Jewish and Muslim religions of wavering faith. So you begin to see that it was a really, a really um Uh, diverse mosaic and really beautiful and really exciting and just like a kaleidoscope changing with every turn in the road.
0: Mm. So I have so many more questions, but we're coming to the end. So I need to ask you, what are you working on now? Yes,
1: I am very uh, drawn to uh, questions surrounding interfaith friendship and how it fits uh, into our society's challenges today. Um, And, you know, I do think it's related to inclusion, the inclusion of minorities of different faiths. Uh, I think uh, I'm drawn to how this is lived um, by women, experienced by women, and uh, to interfaith friendships. Because you see, I read many, many uh, notarial and inquisitional records from these towns, and there were friendships. There were so many cross, cross, uh, you know, cross religious line friendships, inter, you know, interfaith friendships. But uh, it wasn't in the interest of the powers that be to record and relate them and preserve them. Far from it. So every time I find in the archives, for example, wonderful stories of friendship uh, between Jewish girls and Muslim girls and Christian girls and women, um, I'm drawn more deeply into uh, the female experience of of friendship and also just the inspirational aspect of the fact that these friendships did exist. And we always have to believe in them and know that they existed.
0: Hmm. So interesting. What a delight. I loved your book, as I said, and I look forward to the next one. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's been wonderful. And thank you for joining me. Again, this is GP Gottlieb, author of the Whipped and Sipped Mystery Series and host for New Books and Literature, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. Today, I've been talking with Edith Skatza-Vedra about her lovely novel set in 15th century Spain, The Lapse of Albaracín. Thanks for listening, and may you always be immersed in a juicy novel. Happy reading!